Hey friends, it's Jenna Overbaugh here. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I'm here to help you do all the hard things, including busting through your fear, intrusive thoughts, and worry so you can live your best life. Some of my earliest memories were being anxious and I lived my life that way until I learned more about OCD and anxiety. Since then, I learned as much as I could and I've been helping people overcome their fear and worry since 2008. Over the years, I've acquired some of the best education, training, and empowerment tools to help you understand your brain a little bit better and to finally overcome all of that fear that's been holding you back. Now, if you're ready to learn more, let's get to it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. Today, I'm going to chat with you guys about something that might stun some of you, maybe some of you clients, if you're listening, people out there just with obsessive compulsive disorder or anxiety, or even therapists who are out there who do exposure and response prevention or are new to it and want to know more about it. So I'm going to talk about, can you do too much exposure work? Can you do it too intensely? Can you do it too frequently? Can you just get too much of it? And the short answer of it is yes. It's not one of those things that the more of it, the better. It's actually, in my experience, I think one of the things that there's a sweet spot. And unfortunately, it's not the same for everybody, right? So everyone is going to need something a little bit different. Um, people who are super motivated and very perfectionistic, it might be good for them to challenge themselves to at some point not do so many assignments in a structured way. Um, and I'll get into some of that a little bit later. But somebody who's a little bit more avoidant and needs some more structure and really needs a lot of repetitive trials, maybe they require more of that. But I'm going to go over a couple of things that might be going on as to why someone might want to just keep doing exposures, keep doing exposures, and they're just very intense about it. And so, yeah, but these are the individuals who are doing exposure work. They're engaging in therapy for obsessive compulsive disorder or anxiety. They're doing the exposure work and they just want more of it. They're very intense with their work. They may superficially present with very good intentions, like they really want to absorb everything. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're just desperate. And on the surface, right, as a therapist, it's refreshing to work with these individuals every once in a while versus individuals who are very avoidant of their exposure work and who don't buy in. And usually when we get people who are like all in with their exposure work and they want more and do you have any more for me to do? It can feel good. Wow, this person is really motivated. And sometimes that's the case. I think a lot of times that truly is the case. But sometimes I think there could be the potential for something else going on. And so you'll have to get to know your client. You'll have to, as a therapist out there, you're going to have to learn and develop and learn to trust and go off of your own intuition and have those conversations potentially with the people you're working with of, Here's what could be going on. Here's what I'm observing. And I just want to bring it up to you. What do you think could be going? So yeah, so 
the one thing that could be going on here is that it's compulsive in nature. So potentially there's some anxiety there about not doing enough work, about not doing it well enough. And there's just some sense of urgency, like I have to do more. I have to do more. I have to take this really seriously. And we all know as therapists and now as, as clients listening or people who have OCD and anxiety, right? Anytime that you feel the need to do something or the urgency to have to do something, it's probably not very good for your treatment, right? So anything that's like you need to do it and there's some urgency behind it, and especially if you're going to be anxious, you don't do things a certain way. It's usually a sign that there's some compulsivity behind that behavior. That might be related to your anxiety or your OCD in some form or fashion. If we don't address these issues in treatment too, I think it's a potential for exposure work that we're missing. So there's something potentially going on there when someone's really overexerting themselves when it comes to their exposure work, when they're just really intense with it. And that might be an issue. So I'll talk about that a little bit more too. And then... Also, I think this can be problematic because it just doesn't mimic the real life situation, right? I'm always worried that these individuals are going to go strong in the beginning and then get burnt out and overwhelm themselves. I always try to tell my members, slow and steady wins the race. Obviously, I want you to work hard, but don't be afraid of having these very small, subtle changes that are more like lifestyle changes versus just like doing this crazy exposure that's a 10 out of 10. There are some bad things associated with that too, obviously, like doing flooding exposures and all that. But I would much rather have a person with OCD who I'm working with do a lot of small lifestyle changes that they can sustain and commit to for a long time, essentially for the rest of their life versus doing these big sudden bursts that are really extreme of effortful exposure work. And so another thing along those lines is I think it's really important for members and for people with OCD and anxiety and for therapists no, the people with OCD and anxiety, we, they have to learn how to be okay with making mistakes every once in a while. As humans, we just can't always operate at that level of functionality where we're constantly going and going and going. Eventually, we're going to burn out and eventually we're going to not be invested in the work anymore. And so I think it's important to not to make sure that we're not or that our clients aren't always operating at that extreme level of go, go, I have to go and do all the things. So really, there are four areas here that I would want to touch on and four really big concerns that come to mind. Anytime someone has a client or themselves, like the client themselves, are really struggling with overdoing exposure work. So I'm going to go over four things that I had suspicions if somebody was really overdoing it or overexerting it with their, their work um, that I would want to touch on with them in session. So the first thing really is if someone's really exercising these kind of ha these habits and these patterns of being very perfectionistic and very go with their exposure work, I'm probably going to not be surprised to know or find out that they are also this way with other things in their life, right? It's probably not random that this person just all of a sudden attached themselves to exposure work. They're being given these homework assignments. They have this quote unquote authority figure in the form of the therapist. They have these expectations in the form of exposure work. It's not, I don't think it's random that this is the first time that they have attached to anything like that with a lot of pressure associated with it and perfected it. So the possibility for that person, if they're perfecting their exposure work, 
to also be quite perfectionistic in academia or in the work setting is also very late. Especially when I used to work at residential, when people would come and they would, that was their job, right? Like they would wake up, they literally already lived in that unit. They would go to groups, they would do their exposures. That was like their job. They clocked in the morning and it was their expectation that they did groups and that they gave it their all and that they did all these exposures. That was the equivalent of their job to them at that time because they weren't also working. They weren't also able to do schools. Anytime that they really uh, perfected their exposure work or were very rigid about things and had these really intense expectations and wanted more and more, these individuals usually already were perfectionistic about their schoolwork and or their work. And so it's just now OCD is just going to latch onto something else, right? And so if you're not in work or you're not able to perform at work, or even if you are and you start to do exposure work, your OCD is going to latch onto that too. And my encouragement as a therapist, if you are a therapist listening, is to really highlight this with your clients and to dig deep into the history of how is this stuff for you when you're at school? What is it like for you when you're at work? How do you approach work in general? How do you approach assignments and expectations? If there's a, an underlying fear potentially of not having things perfect, of not doing things just right, or being late, being made fun of, or being having someone who's disappointed in them, having missed something on a piece of paperwork, there's a lot of exposure work that could be done there. Definitely as a therapist, just making sure that you're having those discussions with your clients. As a client, making sure that you're making those connections too, bringing it to your therapist. And just knowing whoever you are, knowing that this isn't a random scenario. If your OCD is latching onto your ERP work, it probably has latched onto other things before as far as homework assignments and authority figures go. And it's probably going to continue to do that unless you work through it with exposures in the moment, hopefully with a trained therapist. Really, the second thing here is anytime someone is really perfectionistic about their exposure work, I'm always a little bit concerned about the desperation there, especially if they're presenting as really desperate and compulsive to do the work and they want more and they're really panicked about it. I'm worried that the person who's doing the exposure work might just be so desperate for it to work because they're having a hard time sitting with the uncertainty that it might not work. And again, we know that sitting with uncertainty and the intolerance of uncertainty is really difficult for people who have OCD. And as such, it has to be central to the treatment. If we're really not working on them increasing their tolerance for uncertainty, then we're missing a big part of their treatment and the betterment of their life, right? Whenever that happens, I really want to make sure with my resident, I want you to know I, I'm really hopeful that this works for you. Uh, I noticed that there's like also need for it to work. and. Maybe we need to do exposures about living with OCD long term and maybe do some script work around that. Because if one of the core fears is that they're going to be this way forever and they're using exposures as a way to reassure themselves that they're not going to, if I do these exposures, then I won't have OCD ever again. That's definitely something that you guys can talk about during therapy because it might be good to expose yourself to that. Because as awful as it sounds and as hard as it might sound for some of you out there, ERP is the gold standard treatment for OCD and anxiety. And I hope and I have so much skill in this area and therapists have tons of talent in this area. We could have the most motivated person, the most straightforward person, the most put together hierarchy. And it's, very, it's still uncertain as to what that prognosis is going to be. 
we can make a pretty good estimate and a pretty good guess as to what that might look like based on certain factors that we see in certain research and certain factors like motivation and ritual prevention and all that stuff. But nothing is certain. You could do all the exposures in the world. You can have the best ritual prevention in the world. And we still can't say 100% what someone's prognosis is going to be. So it's really important for our clients that they're sitting with that and that they are able to accept that uncertainty along with all the other uncertainty that we're working with them to try to tolerate in their day. I'm going to chat with you about the two other things that I would tell my clients if I had suspicions that they might be overdoing it with exposures. So related to the last one, I would really want to make sure that they're not getting reassurance from the exposure somehow. So the kind of example that comes to mind is let's say that somebody is struggling with sexual orientation OCD. For those of you who don't know, somebody with OCD who specifically struggles with sexual orientation, this is a subtype where someone really struggles with doubtfulness about their sexual orientation. Somebody may present as quote unquote straight, but then they might have a lot of intrusive thoughts that maybe they're attracted to the same gender and they may really struggle with compulsions related to that checking and body checking. They may seek a lot of reassurance or do a lot of researching and Googling and avoidance, all those things. If any of this is resonating with you right now, then you need to check out the OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint. The OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint is my no holds barred, real talk, three-part course for action takers who want to gain control over their OCD and anxiety and take their freaking life back. It is truly recovery like you've never seen before. I made this OCD and anxiety recovery blueprint because I was sick of the same old vanilla recycled mental health content on social media, on the internet, and I wanted to raise the bar. I wanted to create a world where people could recover for good with or without a therapist. So the OCD and anxiety recovery blueprints, you could get it all together. It's over 100 videos, over 35 hours of content, but you could also get one of its three courses. So we have the foundation, which is level one. This is where you will lay the groundwork for your recovery journey and truly step into your therapist role and realize ultimately how simple all of this can be when you commit to the process. Then level two, we have the transformation. This is where you would learn how to prevent rituals, including mental compulsions, dismantling all those other compulsions that really, really trouble you. You will come to understand that behaviors and mental compulsions are yours to control and never the other way around. Then we have the end game. This is where you will bulletproof your recovery no matter what exposures or challenges cross your path. I want you to take your life back into your own hands so OCD has nothing against you. If you want to learn more about the OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint, just go to www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com slash blueprint or head to the link in my show notes. I don't do vanilla. I don't do what's your subtype. I rip open the freaking curtains and take you into the inner workings of my mind and education so you can know this as well as I do. So again, to learn more about the blueprint, go to www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com slash blueprint or head to the show notes and click the link below. And let's take someone who is really fearful of the fact that they may be gay or they are really just having a hard time with that uncertainty really is what it is. And so, again, these are not individuals who usually are like anti any type of sexual orientation. And our goal in treatment isn't to identify whether they are a certain orientation or whether they're not. Our goal in treatment is to get them to be able to tolerate that uncertainty and really reduce the ritualistic behaviors and safety-seeking behaviors that go along with that. 
And somebody with any type of subtype of OCD could really be getting actual reassurance from the exposures. But I'll give you this example first just to highlight how it could happen. Going to take somebody who has sexual orientation OCD. Let's say they're really anxious. It's a, we're talking about a male and he identifies as straight, but he's really fearful that he might actually be gay and be attracted to other males. And let's say I give him an exposure to actually look at pictures of other men in bathing suits. Maybe that would be reassurance for that person because maybe by looking at them, he doesn't feel the arousal that he typically did, or maybe he checks himself and ritualizes and isn't as attracted to that person as he thought he was. And so maybe that's why he's not anxious by it. So maybe that person wants to overdo those exposures and get more and get more because he's actually getting reassurance from it. Maybe it actually feels good for him to be doing these exposures because he's getting reassurance in a way that neither one of you were really expecting. And so again, I would just encourage this person to try to sit with the uncertainty as much as possible, try to resist the rituals as much as they possibly can, and know, you know, what really comes up here. I I always get worried related to the fearfulness of sitting with the uncertainty, right? I think a lot of people with any type of OCD, but sticking with the example of the sexual orientation OCD, this person would obviously probably engage in a lot of reassurance seeking about, no, I'm still attracted to my girlfriend, so I must be straight. Or no, he's not really my type. I didn't feel arousal down there, so I must not be gay. That's obviously reassurance in one end of the spectrum. I think people can also get reassurance by just accepting the worst case scenario, right? Screw it. I'm just going to make out with this guy and get it over with. Screw it. I'm just going to tell my family that I'm gay and get it over with. And the reason why that's also bad is because that's still reassurance. It's still just accepting the worst case scenario. It's not accepting the uncertainty. And the reason why that's problematic is there's, I don't want anyone to accept and believe any part of the, either part of those spectrums, right? I don't want them to accept any potential reality other than what's in the middle, which is the uncertainty, the gray area. So I don't want somebody to reassure themselves that they're straight. I don't want somebody to reassure themselves that they're gay. I want this person to sit with the uncertainty that maybe they are and maybe they're not. This came up a lot in residential. We would have so many people who had really intense harm intrusive thoughts. They would be really sure or really uncertain, I should say, about whether or not they harmed someone, whether or not they accidentally had a hit and run or killed someone. It was so hard for them to sit with the uncertainty, the doom that the that the police car that drove by the house was there. They were coming for them. Doom that I can't fall asleep. What if this is the night that I'm taken away from my family? They weren't able to sit with that uncertainty. They would call the police on themselves. You bet. They would call the police on themselves because at that point it was easier to just get it over with. It was easier to just throw in the towel. It was easier to just let it go. It was easier to just accept that was going to be the worst case scenario. Instead of sitting with the uncertainty, that's how extreme and how ridiculous OCD can be sometimes. That's how intolerant people with OCD and anxiety can be about sitting with the uncertainty, that they will just throw in the towel and just make their worst case scenario happen because they can't sit with their gray. And so that's what I want to make sure is not happening with exposures, that they're not getting reassurance from the exposures and that they're truly sitting with the uncertainty. I don't want people to give 
reassurance on either end of the spectrum. I don't want them to reassure about the best case scenario. I don't want them to accept the worst case scenario. I want them to accept the uncertainty. And the last thing here that I would really talk about is the Yerkes-Dobson curve. So I believe I did another podcast episode about this. So I think it's called like the link or the relationship between anxiety and performance. So if this rings a bell for any of you, or if you want to learn more about that, then definitely head back to that previous episode. Again, it's going to be something, I think, along the lines of the relationship between performance and anxiety. But essentially in that episode, and what I'll talk about here is a lot of just the relationship between performance or pressure and anxiety. So what the Yerkes-Dodson curve is, it's actually called the Yerkes-Dodson law now because they've demonstrated it in so many different areas that it's pretty much just a law at this point. But essentially, if you could envision an x-axis and a y-axis in a bell curve, so it starts really low and then it dips up and then comes back down low again. So essentially what this is just at low levels of anxiety, we have low levels of performance, okay? So essentially, we want people to be a little bit anxious about stuff. We don't want people to be not anxious about stuff because they're going to have low performance. If I'm not anxious about this podcast or how I appear or whatever, I'm not going to prepare for it. I'm not going to have notes for it. I'm just going to sit here and talk and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just, you know, not going to care. If I'm not anxious about a test, years ago, I took a word working class and I didn't care about that class at all because it was like a quarter of my of a GPA point. And I had good grades otherwise, so I didn't care about what I got in that woodworking class. I didn't, had no anxiety about my grade in the woodworking class. My performance in woodworking class absolutely sucked because I did not care about it. And conversely, at really high levels of anxiety, we have low levels of performance. And so again, if I'm so anxious about a class, I'm going to have really low levels of performance because I'm going to be anxious about studying for it. I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to be really anxious in the moment and I'm not going to be able to access my rational mind. I'm not going to be able to access my memory as well as I normally would have been able to do. And so again, at low levels of anxiety and at high levels of anxiety, we have low performance. What really contributes to the best performance, the highest performance, is moderate levels of anxiety. And I would just explain to clients who really struggle with perfectionism in general, and especially as it relates to their exposures, we want you to have a little bit of anxiety about this stuff. Anxiety can be a motivating factor. Anxiety can motivate you. It's a sign that you care about stuff. If you weren't anxious about it, then you wouldn't care. I need you to be a little bit anxious about it. But right now you're over here and I may even draw the Yerkes Dodson curve for them. Draw it out. And usually if I'm at the point where I need to draw this out for a client, they're like, yep, that's me, 100%. And normally these individuals are at the high end of the spectrum where they have really high anxiety and low performance. And so these are individuals who get so anxious about reading and they have to memorize every little word that they end up not reading at all. And their intention is that they want to remember everything. But of course, you don't remember anything when you don't read it at all, right? So you end up not having good performance in that way because you're just so anxious about it. So again, I would encourage these members or these clients to know that anxiety can be functional. It means that you care about this. We need you to be a little bit anxious about this stuff, but not so anxious that you're debilitated by it. And that especially what I don't want to have happen, which happens a lot, is I'll give someone an exposure, say, hold on to a doorknob or, to, you know, pre-COVID shake hands with someone or write down a horrible thought or think a horrible thought. 
listen to triggering. If they're so worried about doing their exposure correctly, they do the exposure and they're almost more worried about doing the exposure correctly than actually doing the exposure the way that I assigned it. I always would say the, the only way that you can really do this wrong, other than virtualizing like crazy, is to be so worried about doing it wrong that you then obsess about whether you're doing it right. And so what ends up happening, unfortunately, is that if we don't catch these perfectionistic tendencies and outline them and try to challenge them with all of the issues that I brought forth in this podcast, what can happen is they will just annihilate all of their exposure potential by just worrying about whether they're doing it correctly. And so obviously that's not going to be effective. And then obviously you can do some exposure work around that, just not doing work as perfectly. But I think a lot of it just comes down to some education and going through the points that I outlined in this, um, because that is the worst case scenario when somebody is just caught so desperately in that loop that they're doing their exposures and they're so perfectionistic about it that they really can't let themselves even feel the anxiety about the exposure, whether it's harm intrusive, that the exposures aren't even really effective. They can't even take hold because they're so worried about doing them perfectly. So ultimately, yeah, like I said, I would just educate clients about these issues. I believe really strongly in just providing members and clients with tons and tons of education and kind of letting them know this is where my mind is going. This is some, something that I know about this. What do you think about it? I think especially with ERP work, it's so much of just skill building and letting them become their own therapist and really learning that ERP skill so that they can learn it, do well with that skill and use it for the rest of their life. And really, too, in addition to that is bringing it constantly back to this idea and this need to be sitting with that uncertainty. Maybe you are doing exposures wrong. I don't know, right? You could tell me everything that you have going on with you and I can give you my best feedback and support and you could still be doing them wrong, right? Uh, yeah, just lots of education, reemphasizing the importance of sitting with uncertainty. If they're really struggling, if you feel like this is a person who's at that high end of the year, Dodson curve, Finding ways to reduce the pressure that they're putting on themselves, right? Finding ways to take them from high anxiety to more moderate levels of anxiety. And you can do that by having them maybe eliminate distraction, having them break really difficult goals down into smaller and more manageable parts. Lots of potential problems and lots of reasons why these things are problematic, but tons and tons of ways that you can navigate these issues in therapy, whether you're a client, whether you're somebody who just is on your own trying to navigate obsessive compulsive disorder and ERP and all that good stuff. So lots of good stuff here. Moral of the story, like I said, is trying to sit with uncertainty as much as possible, even if it attaches to your exposure work. And really just being aware of the fact that your OCD can latch on to anything. And it will latch on to anything if you let it. Really just being aware of that and providing that education, I think, can go a long way with people. I hope that this was helpful. Reach out to me. Let me know, especially if you're a therapist or even a client, somebody out there struggling with OCD, something that resonated with you. I'm curious to know what other problems this kind of has brought up for you. Any other advice or suggestions you have for people going through this, that would be really helpful to share. Let me know if all this kind of resonates. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would take a quick minute to please give it a review. 
And while you're at it, check out my website at www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com to sign up for my free email newsletter that includes an instant free downloadable PDF to help jumpstart your OCD and anxiety recovery journey. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok at jenna.overbaugh. If you liked what you listened to here, you can download some of my workshops and courses on OCD, anxiety, and treatment at my website as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in and until next time, keep doing all the hard things.